Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful, purpose-driven companies and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Joining me today is Samir Lakani, founder and executive director of EcoSoap Bank, a humanitarian and environmental nonprofit organization working to save, sanitize, and supply recycled hotel soap for the developing world. Since its start in 2014, the organization has provided livelihoods and free education to disadvantaged women with no other reliable source of income and sustainably supplied over 650,000 people with soap and hygiene education while also helping to reduce waste generated by the hotel industry. Currently, Eco Soap Bank is working to help decrease the spread of COVID-19 by distributing soap to vulnerable communities around the world. Samir's social entrepreneurial spirit and the impact of his work has not gone unnoticed. He received the CNN Heroes Award for EcoSoap Bank in 2017, a Unilever Young Entrepreneurs Award in 2018, and a well-deserved spot on this year's Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Samir, welcome to Brand on Purpose. Aaron, it's a pleasure to be here, and thank you for promoting organizations fighting COVID right now. Well, thank you for all that you do. Now, so I'm going to start with a quick confession. I was watching CNN Heroes a few years ago. And I'm like a total sucker for this. I mean, I love Anderson Cooper, but I love the whole concept and the whole vibe behind the Heroes program. It's like one of those things you just can't turn off. You have to keep watching it. And I remember this company and I remember you. And my confession is this. I'm one of those guys. I travel a ton. I actually hoard hotel supplies that I don't use. But here's the confession part. So I have drawers and drawers full. I actually use them. I reuse them when I go to the YMCA, when I'm working out, when I'm doing open water swims or whatever. The hotel bars and soaps and things that I love, I kind of take with me. And then I'm watching this, I'm watching you, and I'm like, holy shit, what a great idea. It's so simple and so impactful. And hygiene, and I guess it's ironic or not ironic because we're in this COVID-19 pandemic right now, but hygiene is one of the things that can absolutely eradicate avoidable diseases around the world, which I know you're going to talk about. So that's my confession. People who know me and are close to me know this for sure, that that's what I do. I hoard soap. But tell me a little bit about what inspired you to create Eco Soap Bank. Sure. No, I'm happy to tell you my story. But I must say, first and foremost, you are a kindred soap recycler. And I just want to thank you for that. To that note, Aaron, how many bars of hotel soap do you think are thrown away per day? Globally? Globally. And you can't hoard them all. I'm going to say probably 450,000. It's about 5 million bars per day. Wow, I was way off. So billions of bars of hotel soap are thrown away every single day. And that's our mission. Our mission is to employ women in developing countries to collect these leftover soap bars like you and recycle them into brand new bars of soap so that we can provide it to children in need, along with education. Every single year, we reach about 1.4 to 1.5 million children with the soap that they need to keep themselves safe and healthy. The organization started, if I may, from a very emotional point of view and origin. I was actually traveling through northern Cambodia, and I was in very, very remote villages. I was working on a climate change project at the time. And in these remote villages that look more or less the same way they did a thousand to two thousand years ago, 
I saw something that I'll never forget, Aaron. I saw a village woman bathing her newborn son, but she was scrubbing his skin with laundry detergent. And I just remember that the child was crying and I can't get that sound out of my head, but it propelled me to want to do something. It propelled me to want to act, but I didn't know what to do. As I returned to my relatively luxurious hotel room, I stepped inside the bathroom and I had that same realization you did, that my housekeeper had replaced a bar of soap that I had barely even touched. It's so wasteful. It's crazy. It's so wasteful. They don't even look. They just automatically, blindly... I mean, I guess now it's good because we're using it for good and we want them to continue to do that because you're able to then access it. But it's crazy how they just do that. They just give you two, three. It's like almost like a Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm <laughs> episode just waiting to happen, right? I would love to watch that for sure. <laughs> it's wasteful, but we've come to expect luxury amenities. And so what we do is we turn trash into a life-saving treasure. I love that. And how do you do it? I mean, how did you start it? I, I really want you to get into nitty gritty here. So you, like many others, have had these like epiphany kind of moments. And it's one thing that clicks and you come back to it and then you actually act on it. What was the first thing you did to try to launch this organization? It was somewhat foolish, if I may. So I was maybe 21 or 22 at the time. And I stayed up all night after that discovery in that hotel bathroom. And the next morning I said, you know what, I need to do this. I need to visit all the hotels in that one city in Cambodia and get them on board with donating their leftover soap. And so what I did was I put on a Hawaiian t-shirt. It was the most formal thing I had at the time. And I hopped on a rickety bicycle. And I went from five-star hotel to five-star hotel in Siem Reap, Cambodia. And I walked up to the receptionist and I said, I must speak with your general manager. It's an emergency. And so a fancy French or Italian general manager of a five-star hotel in a three-piece suit would come out and greet me. And he would see a disheveled American completely drenched in sweat, asking him for his leftover dirty soap. It was probably a ridiculous image. But as soon as I told them what was happening in village communities not very far from the hotel itself, they quickly understood that their leftover soap could have a life-saving potential. Now, once I mobilized more and more supplies of this leftover soap, we needed somehow to recycle it. And so I went to the village market at the time, and I bought all sorts of different utensils, butcher knives and cutting boards and meat grinders. I had to figure out a way to sterilize and recycle this product. And so thinking back on it, my housekeepers would have probably thought I was a serial killer having all of these dangerous pieces of equipment in my hotel room as I recycled soap. Isn't soap self-cleaning? I mean, Jerry Seinfeld, I think there's a Seinfeld on this. It's self-cleaning, right? Is it really? I don't know, but I, I guess, but you're saying no. I mean, these, are all, these aren't just bars that haven't been opened. These are also bars that I might use once or twice and throw back without throwing it in the garbage. I'm throwing it back in the little tray in the hotel, right? Correct, yes. So those have to be sanitized or re-sanitized. Those need to be sanitized. While there's a lot of studies which indicate you cannot transmit viruses and bacteria from person to person, from a customer and a consumer perspective, we need to sterilize this product and make it good as new. And we spent the last five, six years basically retooling the whole recycling process. And the bars that we make have been sterilized using a three-step sanitation process. 
it's completely manual. The whole core element of our mission is to maximize employment for women across the globe. And so the process itself is manual, but it results in a brand new bar of soap that we can later distribute to children. And is this like a mystery soap smell? Because all these soaps mixed together, or are you actually... It's potpourri. It is, right? Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. That's amazing. So just out of curiosity, the sanitization process, so it's not just like running it under hot water and just taking the (laughs) the top layer off. You're talking probably like UV lights and all sorts of stuff, right? Yeah, we don't just use the soap and then hand it out. No, so we get it lab tested as well. We get it batch tested, which is important. But basically, in all simplicity, here are the three steps. Firstly, we physically remove the entire outer shell of the bar so that no part that has been in contact with someone else ends up in the final product. The second step is we actually chlorinate the bars using a food grade bleach, the same as which your tomatoes in the grocery store might have been cleaned. And then we put an extraordinary amount of pressure through a fine screen just to filter out any impurities and to form brand new bars of soap. You would be interested to know we use absolutely zero electricity or gasoline through the entire process. It's completely carbon neutral and it's entirely powered by individuals across the world. That's so cool. And two questions there. One, how did you learn how to do this? And two, where are you doing this? It's a labor of love. So it was an iterative process that took us quite a bit of time. We were initially making liquid soap. So basically pulverizing the bars into a powder and making liquid soap like you would Gatorade or Tang, for example. We very quickly realized that liquid soap is mostly water. We wanted the most concise and concentrated life-saving product there is, which is bar soap. Yeah, you needed to do it to job. Correct, exactly. And we are recycling in 13 countries around the world. So we're currently employing 154 women in 13 countries around the world to collect and recycle leftover hotel soap in countries all over the world, like Sierra Leone, South Africa, Rwanda, Nepal, Cambodia, you name it. And here's the point. This is a micro enterprise that is focused on empowering women in cities across the world where a bar of soap is still being thrown away. It doesn't have to be Las Vegas or Disney World. How are you finding the women to let them know, one, that this could literally change their lives and save lives, others' lives? And two, it's safe because in working in some of these developing countries and whatnot, there's got to be a little bit of a trust issue as well that you have to overcome. Working in the developing world is both sensitive, but it's also a privilege. I think doing this sort of humanitarian and environmental work in the developing world has unnecessarily received a lot of controversy. You have to deal with corruption and you must work extra hard to make an impact in this world. But you know what, Aaron? It is a privilege and it is an honor to work in these countries. I am an American. I have no right working in rural Nepal to work to employ women and save lives. So ultimately, I must approach this with a certain level of humility. And secondly, one of the most powerful things we have been able to do is shift the entire narrative for women across the globe. We are working with them to empower them 
what does that mean? It means we are working with them slowly and patiently and telling them, listen, your life doesn't need to be one of merely survival. We can give you the tools and the leadership that you need to make a difference in your community and give back to your fellow human beings. And this is a paradigm shift, frankly, which is transformational for a lot of women and their families across the globe. It's incredible. Now, I have to ask, with the pandemic right now, we're talking to each other from our home offices, right? And it's great to be able to see you as well. Technology is amazing. With the travel industry and hotels in particular being hit so hard, and it's a question mark. Nobody really knows because we're managing day to day, week to week, not quarter to quarter, month to month anymore. It's questionable how and when they'll come back online. I have two questions there. One is, how much do you have banked to be able to continue to manufacture and distribute in this time? And two, how has COVID impacted your ability to get these bars of soap? Or has it actually increased it or improved it because they're just sitting somewhere talk a little bit about that. And you probably don't have all the answers, but I'm just kind of curious how you're managing that right now. The global hotel industry is suffering right now. And I know a lot of people in leadership positions there. And I know a lot of people from properties that we've been working with for five and six years. And so my heart goes out to them. As you rightly observed, occupancy rates have plummeted. So where are we getting our soap? Let me tell you, Aaron, there's another stockpile of soap out there in case you want to take it home with you. And that is Do tell me. scraps from soap factories and manufacturers. So globally, with any industry, with any manufacturing, there's always going to be scraps. There's always going to be unwanted byproducts. And let me tell you, it translates into billions of bars in equivalent scraps. And so we have quickly snapped into action and have talked with large companies such as Unilever, Procter & Gamble, and other large consumer good companies and asked them, listen, this is an emergency. Soap is especially life-saving during COVID, and we want to recycle your scraps and turn your production lines into a zero waste commodity. And so we have been able to mobilize enough scrap to continue employing and providing our 154 women with the soap they need to recycle. Here's the thing. Our work has skyrocketed in terms of importance, especially right now. Let me paint a picture. Public health in sub-Saharan Africa, for example, cannot handle a spike and a surge of COVID-19 cases. In Sierra Leone, where we work extensively, it's a country of seven and a half million people. There is only one ventilator in the entire country. One? One. What does this mean? This means that the focus must be diverted towards prevention physical distancing, and also improved access to hygiene. This is the life-saving intervention right now for much of the developing world. And it's so simple. I mean, it's like hygiene, clean water. Those two things alone saves millions and millions of lives every year. Without being preachy, and I'm victim of this childhood diarrhea, simple diarrhea, which is a preventable hygiene-related illness. Just wash your hands, you reduce the risk by a significant portion. Childhood diarrhea kills more people than AIDS, malaria, and measles combined. 
What this means is that we are still dealing with antiquated hygiene-related illnesses, and we haven't found a good solution to that. If I may paint another picture, in a country like Liberia, right next door to where we're working in Sierra Leone, in Liberia, only 1.2% of households have access to soap at home. How are these countries supposed to develop economically if their healthcare systems are burdened from preventable diseases like diarrhea, cholera, and pneumonia? And so while COVID has increased global awareness for the importance of handwashing, frankly, Aaron, we have been dealing with deadly viruses and bacteria in these settings for nearly six years now. So on a personal level, how are you viewing this pandemic? Because you have a very different vantage point than so many people who are, I think, in many ways, whining about the wrong things. I mean, we should be practicing an attitude of gratitude right now for so many things. The limits we have on our social lives or our work lives, and also, obviously, the crushing impact that's had on our economy, in many ways, pale in comparison to what's been going on pre-COVID-19 for so many millions of people around the world that we don't have visibility or understanding of that you're talking about. I'll be perfectly honest. I'm 27, which means that I'm branded with a certain level of optimism, and I've internalized that. However, in the beginning, this sort of pandemic and the rate by which it is spreading and the destruction it's causing causes one to despair. And it took me a long time to finally understand what the value in this is. And so I come to two conclusions. The first is which, when you think about hygiene globally, there's three problems. It's awareness, it's accessibility, and it's affordability. This has skyrocketed, as I said, the awareness about the importance of hand washing. And this is good for long-term investments in global health. So that's one takeaway. However, secondly, if there is any silver lining to this pandemic and crisis, it is it should breed and cultivate a certain newfound understanding for it, towards empathy. We need very dramatic things in this life to tell us where inequities lie. And I think this is an opportunity for us globally to form a newfound, persistent level of empathy. I think that's beautifully said for someone so young and so visionary, for sure. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Okay, so we're back. So can you share with us the very first hotel or hotel chain that said yes? And do you want to give them a shout out? Are you allowed to? Yes, of course. It was a guest house in northern Cambodia called Mother Home Inn. I'm sorry to say they're not in operation any longer. However, we have a couple of founding members, and it's the biggest one is probably the Sofitel Group. They have been with us from the very beginning. And ever since then, we have onboarded Marriott's and Hilton's globally as well. They have been amazing partners. And truly, Aaron, my heart goes out to the industry at this time. It's a very difficult time. It's such an important industry. I mean, it employs such a large, I can't remember what it is. 10%. 10 or 11%. Yeah, that's massive. It's massive. That's billions of people. I mean, almost. And so... Listen, I think to our former point, while this might raise our capacity for empathy, I think it also sounds the alarm towards sustainability. We need to incorporate sustainability into our behavior. And you know what? 
think about an example where it has been laid so bare that hygiene has a fundamental life-saving capability here. And so we are utilizing this as a way to express to the hotel industry upon its rebound that your waste can save lives. So I mentioned earlier 5 million bars of hotel soap are thrown away per day. We're only collecting 1% of that soap. That's our current scale at this time. And how are you funded? How are you able to stay in operation right now? Primarily philanthropic. And is that through individuals as well as grants and other organizations and whatnot? It's mostly through individuals. And you know what? I think we provide to individuals who are looking to make an impact that goes further. So for example... We're an organization that can employ 150 plus women abroad, and we're a very, very small organization. And this is because your dollars go further for an organization like us that is focused on the developing world. How hard is it? You play many roles. You're a founder. You're the visionary. You are the QA guy. You're also the sales guy and that you're working with hotels as well as now these large CPG companies for the scrap map. What is it like to shift gears and do you have help on the fundraising side? Because it's not talked about often enough, but it's so hard, especially now, but in general, normal times to fundraise and to ask people for money. It's emotionally a difficult thing to do. What's important for us is to establish some sort of financial sustainability going forward. So integrated in our model is hotels actually participate in our program financially. And so we work with about 1,200 hotels globally. In exchange for this partnership, they receive opportunities to engage in team building events, to follow their soap into the field and to build staff morale and things like that. But they also get the opportunity to demonstrate to their guests their life-saving CSR and their commitment to the local community. So going forward, that's going to be a big portion of our financial sustainability as well. In terms of fundraising, it's a competitive landscape out there. And so all we can really say is when you learn about a statistic such as Sierra Leone only having one ventilator for 8 million people and a ventilator costs $20,000, for example, we can move 2 million bars of soap for $20,000. And so the opportunity impact cost, if you will, I think goes so much further. And frankly, it's more locally relevant as well. You said you're 27. God bless you. What was the first thing you did when you graduated? Your University of Pittsburgh, right? Yes. Okay. What's the first thing you did? Oh, I got to work. I actually started this organization while I was still in school. My grades suffered terribly to my parents' great dismay. But here's the thing. It could not wait. The idea was too ripe and the need was too great. I couldn't wait. So I jumped right into this work. I am very privileged. And entrepreneurs, I think, receive a lot of leeway and they receive a lot of consolation. Sure, we work 100-hour weeks. But you know what? This is because we metabolize this as pure energy. We love this work and we won't stop. I mean, here's my point. It is, again, to my former point of working in the developing world, it is an honor and a privilege to be able to do something in this current climate. In the last six weeks alone, we've moved 1.5 million bars of soap. And at the end of May, we'll move 3 million bars of soap to 12 countries in need around the world. This is a privilege to be able to have this sort of impact in a time like this. 
And given to your point earlier, because you're carbon negative or carbon neutral, maybe even negative at some point. We're most certainly offsetting carbon. Yes. Okay. So, and that's not lost on me because you want to put more people to work. How have you changed the work environment to protect them amidst COVID-19? You're obviously continuing to manufacture and it's a tension and there's some irony in it as well, because what you're manufacturing saves lives. You don't want to ruin lives while you're manufacturing it, right? Yeah, no, of course. It's a serious consideration. We are lucky in many countries to have been deemed an essential service and operation, and we were very lucky. So we are not necessarily victims to lockdowns and things in that regard. However, we have taken certain steps such as splitting up operations restricting the number of workers that can recycle in one single place, et cetera, et cetera. But here's the point as well. The demand for soap has absolutely skyrocketed in the last three months. For example, for the very first time in Cambodian public health history, we have put soap in every single frontline hospital and health clinic in that country for the very first time. Amazing. Wow. And the number of doctors per patient the rates are pretty poor. Cambodia is home to 15 million people. There are only three hospitals serving that entire population. Three hospitals for 15 million people. Yeah. This is the state of public health around the globe, and there will be a lot of suffering, but we can do something about this. And it's simple. It has always been simple. Physical distancing, good hygiene, and that's all you need to save lives. Do you think there's a strange positive dynamic at play here where part of your mission, besides being able to get soap into the hands of people, is also educating them, right? So it's one thing to say, here's a bar of soap. You also have to explain to them why they need to use it. It's in a very shallow way. It's like why you brush your teeth three times, two, three times a day. So the pandemic probably has also helped create a greater awareness, even in the most underserved populations and the most under or developing countries in the world that soap is key to life, to survival. So that in a weird way is a little bit helpful in that there's more education, even though it's through a very tense time right now. You've hit the nail on the head. So if you go back to my poor analogy of awareness, accessibility, and affordability, awareness has skyrocketed. And so this was a fundamental peg in our mission. And so with a skyrocketing awareness, we now need to address accessibility and affordability. And so I gave you the example of now every single healthcare institution in Cambodia now has the appropriate soap for infection control. Why did it take this long? It took a very acute global phenomenon in order to raise awareness. And so that net benefit is not lost on us. However, to the secondary issues at play here, access and supply is still far too limited and restricted. We're only collecting from 1% of hotels globally. We need to get that up substantially. So you referred to yourself as an entrepreneur earlier, and I think you're discounting yourself because you're better than that. You're a social entrepreneur. Are there other social entrepreneurs that you've looked at that have inspired you where there's a little bit of, even if it's not face-to-face -face mentoring, but like virtual distance mentoring that's helped kind of give you a path? Absolutely. So I would be remiss to say, and you know, we talked about CNN Heroes. Around, I think it was 2005 or 2006, there was another man who was featured on CNN Heroes. His name was Derek Kayungo. Do you know him? 
No, but that name now sounds familiar. Eric Kanyongo, he has now graduated into the world of global advocacy and human rights work. However, he is a Ugandan refugee that was relocated to the United States. He started an organization in the early 2000s called the Global Soap Project. And so he is, if you will, the founder of this idea to recycle leftover hotel soap. He's the OG. He's the OG. And as you know, good artists and good entrepreneurs, they just steal good ideas. But we have tweaked it. And we have tweaked it to include disadvantaged women across the globe to be the arbiters and harbingers of this good and impact. So Derek Kayongo is very important to this organization and its mission. There are other examples of people who I aspire to be more like. And a good example would be Paul Pullman of Unilever. One of the first things that he did upon joining Unilever 10, 11 years ago was to remove the CSR department at Unilever and to integrate sustainability into the DNA of the operation. This is something we all need to do, including us as social entrepreneurs, as you said. Yeah, it's funny. So in a very small way, I was in a conversation with a fellow agency person yesterday, and they're saying how they have this really cool business unit. I'm not going to name it, that is dedicated to brand purpose, social purpose. I'm like, that's great. But why is it a business unit? I mean, I've integrated it into my entire organization. It shouldn't be a standalone unit. It should be part of what we do and who we are and how we serve our clients every day. And you mentioned Paul Pullman. His successor is actually going to come on the podcast the end of May. So we've got Alan Jope coming on and I'm incredibly excited. That's a big get. And anything I can do, obviously, to give a shout out to you guys along the way. I'm sure you don't need the help, but I'm happy to help. I've had the pleasure of meeting Alan, and he is a visionary as well. So it's these bright beacons and lights that we follow after as well. But here's another important point, if I may. In our mission, our mission is twofold. Create green jobs for women and give soap to children, but also be perfectly embedded in the circular economy. We are an organization that works on behalf of people and the planet simultaneously. And this is fundamentally important. If your allegiance goes towards one side or the other, it is not good for a holistic impact, in my opinion. So let's talk about that for a second, because the entrepreneur in me is also thinking, let's just say there's a certain point at which, and hopefully we'll get there one day, where you're able to provide enough soap. I know it's only 1% right now, but you're able to provide enough soap to be able to really clean the world and help people and improve hygiene, everything that you talked about. Is there a world in which you then sell or resell some of the soap at retail or online where a majority of the profits then go back towards the organization and to also redistributing this? Or are you doing that already? We are actually doing that. So at Q4 of last year, we launched a successful Kickstarter campaign called Project Eco Soap, where we were selling a premium soap product. And for every bar of soap that someone purchased, we donated 100 bars of soap to children in need. That's just how the economics worked out. So that give back model, we think, was transformational. But also, it's a zero waste product. The bar itself is actually wrapped in an upcycled discarded hotel linen with the impact screen printed directly on that by ethical screen printers across the globe. So we were definitely pushing the boundaries in terms of ethical products and upcycled products. That's so cool. And are you still doing that? 
Yeah, we're still doing that. We're in a couple of select countries right now. We're repurposing and re-sewing discarded hotel linens as face masks, obviously. So there's going to be a lot of emerging products in the portfolio, but all of them will have been upcycled. And if I wanted to buy that one bar so I can then make sure that there's 100 bars that go to other families and people, where do I go for that right now? We will be relaunching the campaign later this year. We're going to be reserving all soap, even the premium soap, for people who need it right now. But if people want to get involved, go to our site at ecosoapbank.org. And please stay tuned to our fight against COVID right now. We're looking to make a significant impact as very rapidly as humanly possible. And I mean, you guys have already made such an incredible impact. I'm feeling like there's potentially, I hate to use the word influencer, but an opportunity when you do launch later in the year to get influencers involved where they can do like a limited edition brand of themselves on these bars of soap to get their network involved and engaged and get other people to be able to buy these things. I would echo this point as well this is a very good time to be a quote unquote social entrepreneur. I think public consciousness has congealed to help as much as humanly possible. And I have received a lot of in-kind support from people across the world. And so I can't speak to what this would have been like 20 or 30 years ago, or if we would have even been successful then. But right now, I think people are interested in sustainability and they're interested in making an impact. And I feel very lucky to do this work right now. One last question then, because you've been dealing with a lot of large corporates and you're dealing with them now more than ever, especially when it comes to the soap scraps, which I guess intellectually I knew occurred, but I'd never really kind of put it together. Do you really believe large companies can, if they're not built on purpose, they can actually find purpose and make a meaningful impact on the world? And if the answer is yes, I think it is. What are the key ingredients? What are the criteria for that company to do it authentically? Not just through some bullshit creative campaign. Because one of the reasons why I love Unilever is because they actually are fundamentally changing their business, as you know. They're acquiring or divesting businesses to meet a vision that is grounded in purpose and empathy versus here's a really cool campaign and here's some creative, I'm not going to name the company, because we're going to try and create awareness. And awareness is one thing, but action is another. So one, do you believe these larger companies can make that pivot authentically? And two, how do they do it? What are the key ingredients for that to be successful and real? There are other luminaries who will speak in more detail to this, but I think it's a fundamental decision to shift from short-term profits to long-term profits. I think that's at the core of it. And also valuing a large number and diverse group of stakeholders rather than just shareholders. I think this is the core of the problem. However, from my perspective, I believe that there will be a genuine, authentic shift towards true environmental and humanitarian sustainability because the marketing won't distinguish these sorts of things anymore. We are quickly growing accustomed to these sorts of campaigns. And I think my generation as well has come to expect it. And so the marketing value behind these things will quickly decrease in its value. And I think it'll become something that is highly coveted and demanding. So I think that marketing bubble may burst, if you will, and we will have to usher in a new day where this becomes the MO. It's hard for me because I've been doing this for actually a little bit longer than you've actually been in this world. <laughs> and 
I'm a skeptical person. You know, my background's crisis and issues management in particular, and a lot of purpose-driven branding and marketing. And I look at things through a very, very critical lens. And right now, when I'm watching TV, I see these car commercials where it's like, we're here for you, meaning, yes, you can get your car serviced, or you can do contactless buying a car from us. It's like, I'm thinking, who's buying a freaking car right now? And I just feel like I get it. They can't have their regular run of show with their ads and their creative, and they need to change it. And they're trying to figure out what's that voice. And they also, they too have to employ people. And I understand that, but there's still a lot of tone deafness and insensitivity, and I think cluelessness going on right now. And I guess what you're saying, and I'm not putting words in your mouth, is that there is upside and downside. And the upside and the bright light here is that there is a collective urgency and awareness that we've never had before around all sorts of issues that are hopefully going to drive all of us to do well by doing good. Yeah, of course. I will extend that just a bit forward. I was listening to a climatologist speak recently, and he was asked, okay, has the climate rebounded in the current COVID crisis? And he said something remarkable. He said, the earth that is billions of years old does not rebound in two months, okay? It does not operate on our human timeline. And this is fundamentally important. Another silver lining here is the understanding that we can make connections as we are doing now perfectly remote. And so we need to reimagine what we think of mobility and understand that business can proceed and it doesn't need to perceive at the sacrifice of the environment. Listen, Samir, we're going to have to leave it there, unfortunately, but I just want to say to you and everyone else who's listening, you are an amazing human being, and I wish the world was full of literally hundreds of thousands of Samirs, and I'm sure there will be one day, but I really, really appreciate everything you do, and I hope others do as well. I'm sure they will, and for people who want to contribute and who want to help from a fundraising standpoint, where do they go? ecosoapbank.org. Please head there, but also please email me directly. If you're a young budding entrepreneur, I would love to speak with you. And if you're looking to make a substantial impact on millions of people's lives across the globe, please also reach out. And I'll say it here on air that we do a lot in the travel industry as an agency, and clearly things are a little in between and sideways right now, but it won't be like that forever. So obviously I would love to be able to help out as well with my own agency, whether it's through introductions or communications and marketing assistance, fully pro bono, of course. So thank you so much for being on Brand on Purpose and I wish you all the best. Thank you very much for having me. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com. Follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast. And learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Mm-hmm.